This morning's reading is taken from the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at chapter 2, verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs that he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from, nor where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your wonderful word that speaks today. And we pray that we would hear your voice and that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. Amen. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? But what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe. Some of us believed that we would win the quiz last night. 
Um, some, like Fred, believe that Sunderland will win the league. Um, some believe that Dominic Cummings makes a great Prime Minister. Um, we believe that the chair we're sitting on will hold our weight. But what about Jesus? What does it mean to believe in him, really believe? That's the writer's John's topic at the moment, this next bit in his book. He began his book by telling us about Jesus' identity, who he is. And he took us right before the beginning of the world and reminded us that Jesus is the word. He is God and he's, uh, and he's with God. He's been revealed the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Messiah, the promised anointed one who's sent to rescue his people by the Lord. Uh, and he's been called the Son of God. And we saw him, didn't we, reveal his glory at that wedding in Cana as he turned the water into wine. And then the Lord visiting his temple, turning over the tables of the money changers and so on. And that was a sign that the Lord has come. And at the end of his book, John says, as I've just prayed, uh, these things are written that you would believe it, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, this Messiah, and that you would have life in his name. He's been presenting us, hasn't he, John, with the evidence, the facts about Jesus that we are to believe in for that life, that real life, true life, eternal life. And both those things are in our reading today, our Bible reading, uh, life and belief. Because when it comes to Jesus, our belief can be a bit wonky. It can be weak and misdirected. So this is a great opportunity to examine ourselves, to see if we are on the right track when it comes to belief. And I say that because it's not about how strong our faith is. It's actually about who our faith is in. Our faith will go up and down. It's sometimes weak, it's sometimes strong. But it's about who Jesus is. Are we, are, are we believing in the, in, the, in the true Jesus? But let us see. Um, it's possible um, that our faith can be in the wrong one, in the wrong things. Because we see that at the beginning of our reading in chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. There is belief that misses the mark. Did you see that? He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, and many people saw the signs he performed and believed in his name. But verse 24, Jesus would not entrust himself to them. He knew what was in a person. So it's still Passover. Jesus is performing miracle signs because they're signposts that point to him. And people are believing, which is good news, surely. Uh, John's gospel has been about this, the God moving towards his people, showing he wants to be with us, dwelling among us. But here, people seem to be believing in Jesus, but Jesus seems to be closing the door on that. He's not entrusting himself to them. Because, verse 24, verse 25, he knows their hearts. In other words, he, he knows what's really going on. He knows that their faith is fake. They like the things about Jesus, his miracles and so on. They're impressed with Jesus. Wow, what a, what a guy, what a teacher. But they're not really understanding who he truly is, his identity. And that might challenge us, mightn't it, as we've been thinking. Um, is my faith genuine? Am I trusting in the, the real Jesus? Or is he perhaps more of a hobby? A nice idea. It also challenges me as a Christian when I'm drifting. 
and I begin to, my life has been filled with all sorts of other things. And I'm taking my eyes off Jesus and I'm beginning to, to trust in other things. And perhaps Jesus is becoming a bit of a bit part of my life, a hobby. So I need to be careful that I don't lose out on him, on this life that he offers. But wonderfully, in chapter three, Jesus encounters a man called Nicodemus, um, who's like a case study of all of this. Uh, he's a religious leader of the highest order. He's a Pharisee. And we read um, that he's one of these men. In verse 25, it says, Jesus did not need any testimony about man or uh, mankind, for he knew what was in a man. And then the first one, it says, there was a man, a Pharisee, Nicodemus. So here is your case study, says John. And uh, here is perhaps this fake belief that we should watch out for. Verse 2, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. We're told it's at night. And he uses phrases like this, John, when, when wanting to give a deeper meaning. Uh, there's darkness here. Uh, there's unbelief, perhaps. It's a secret meeting, of course. Nicodemus doesn't want to, his colleagues to find out that he's meeting with Jesus. It might spell trouble. But um, there is spiritual darkness here. Nicodemus is impressed with Jesus. And he flatters Jesus. Did you notice? Verse 2, rabbi, a fellow rabbi. He's come from God. Wow. And he's impressed with him. And like those people in verse 23 of the last chapter, he's seen the signs and he is impressed. And while some of his colleagues were rude about Jesus, uh, maybe he can persuade him to join his group. Well, Jesus aims right at the heart of Nicodemus's wonky belief. He knows Nicodemus, what he was all about. Uh, and he, know, he, he knows that Nicodemus is all about the kingdom of God. That's his desire. That's what he's aiming for. And uh, how I get into God's heaven. That's a million dollar question, isn't it? How do I gain God's heaven, eternal life? And our family members ask that question. Your friends will be asking that question, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. This is the eternal life that Jesus mentions at the end of verse 15. And he needs to give Israel's teacher a lesson in it about how to gain this eternal life to be part of God's kingdom. And Jesus teaches him emphatically. He says, very truly, I tell you, or I tell you the truth. This is really what he's saying is, of all the things I teach you, pay attention to this. Sit up and take notes. This is rock solid, absolutely trustworthy, and to be pushed deep into your hearts. Very truly, to enter God's kingdom, you must be born again. To enter God's kingdom, we must be born again, says Jesus. Verse 3 says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And it's repeated more, this uh, born again phrase, verse 5 and verse 7. So we have to pay attention. Jesus is saying, entry into the kingdom of God is not through impressive religiosity, uh, like Nicodemus, church attendance, being more spiritual, knowing my Bible, praying longer prayers, being known as a loyal follower. Um, no, says Jesus, it's not about trying harder, but about being born again, being given birth to. And although Jesus doesn't actually mean physical birth, 
he does call it birth, which is really helpful. It means it's something we can't do. I can't wake up one day and say, decide to be born. To be born is not my work. It has to be done to me. And being born again is more than simply a change in my circumstances. It's not turning over a new leaf, um, but starting a completely new life. Now, this was a shock to Nicodemus. This was not the accepted teaching at the time. It is why Nicodemus seems to take his words literally, almost to mock Jesus. What? Physically enter my mother's tummy and be born? This is ridiculous. I'm a grown man. Well, he's simply showing that Jesus' words are gobbledygook to him. He doesn't understand what Jesus is teaching, that he needs to be born again to enter God's kingdom. Jesus is clear, isn't he? Have you been born again? That's the, that's the question to ask this morning. Have you been born again? This is emphatic. Some people have a poor view of this phrase. Um, you're not one of those born-again Christians, are you? You know, the over-the-top sort. Well, Jesus says there's no categories of Christians. You're either born again and uh, entering God's life and kingdom, or you're not. It doesn't matter if it happens gradually or if it happens suddenly or dramatically. To enter God's kingdom, you are born again. And if that's you, if, that, if you can say that's happened to you, then wow. Never forget what an amazing thing that God has done in your life. This is perhaps uh, something we can do. As I've said, we can forget this glorious thing that God has done. It's no small change. It's not just a, a change of direction. We've been made a new person. Then Jesus pushes this point a bit more. Very truly, to enter God's kingdom, you must be born again. Secondly, to be born again, to the next step, you must be cleansed and given God's spirit. You must be cleansed and given God's spirit. Verse 5, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. This is what John wrote about in chapter 1, didn't he? In verse 12 and 13, those who believe in Jesus are words. He gave the right to become children of God. Not born of natural descent or a husband's will or human decision. Born of God. And who sees comes about by water, cleansing, and the work of the spirit. And the mention of water here means that there's cleansing to be done. Now, one of my favourite things in life are the rubbish collectors. Did you know that about me? I love the rubbish collectors because we pile up all our junk and rubbish and smells and things in the house, like you. Then we push them outside and brilliantly, someone comes along and takes them away. Well, similarly, uh, however good or religious we think we are, or are, our hearts are filled with rubbish. We, the way that we treat God, it stinks. We've rebelled against him. And God says that he will come along and take that away, clean our hearts, and make them right and good. I can't do that, because the moment I start doing it, going to work, trying to clean my heart, behave better, I, I fail, I stumble and fall, I mess up. Before Nicodemus' religious hard work, Jesus says his heart needs to be clean. Despite the fact that he's a rabbi or a top uh, follower of God, 
his heart is a problem. There's a load of rubbish there. And it needs a deep personal clean, a cleanness that lasts forever so that he can come into God's kingdom. And God can come and live in his heart by his spirit. And dear Nicodemus, you need to be understanding this. You know your Bible. You should know this. And that's why Jesus probably used this phrase about water and spirit. In Exodus chapter 36, God tells the people this thing. Uh, I'm going to put it on the screen. Um, chapter 20, 36, verse 24. I will take you out of the nations, says the Lord. I will gather you from all the countries away and I'll bring you back to my land. And what will I do? I will sprinkle clean water on you so that you will be clean. You have been dirty, but you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your sin, your impurities, from your idols. Now, those things we worship. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Wow. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you this heart of flesh, a living, breathing heart that loves the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and move you to fulfill my decrees, to, to basically obey me, to keep my laws, to, to live the way I want you to live. God is promising to come and clean the hearts of his people, giving us this spirit, new hearts, so we can love God rightly. Isn't that brilliant? And Jesus is saying, this age has arrived. God is doing something new. And in that next chapter in Ezekiel 37, maybe read it when you get home, um, God shows what it looks like as he has this valley littered with dry bones and God's breath breathes on it. And these bones start to stick together and they become a vast army of people. And Jesus says, that's what I've come to do. Um, transform you to give you new birth. Verse six. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, human birth produces human fleshy people full of failings and cannot bring us into God's family as his children. But the spirit gives birth to spiritual life, a new nature to enjoy God's realm and his presence, to live as he would have us live. And Jesus uses the example of wind, did you notice, in the passage to, to illustrate the spirit's work. They didn't have, um, they didn't have uh, weather men, weather women to tell them what's going on. And the wind blows where it pleases them. It's invisible. It can't be controlled. You can see its effects, says Jesus. It moves trees and grass. You can see where the wind is. And in the same way, we can't see this Holy Spirit. He can't be controlled. But we can see where the Holy Spirit is at work. And it's clear when someone is born again, the Holy Spirit is within them. And it, it, they don't change overnight. They don't become perfect people. But we see this change in them and in ourselves, a new direction, a new way of living, a new joy. Everything has changed. And church, our family at St. Paul's, we're full of people who've been born again. We see it in each other. What an exciting community to be a part of. We see the Spirit at work how he dwells in his people and that means we, we need to be humble don't we uh, because it's not our work it's God's work in us we can't be pleased with ourselves for how well we're doing as Christians it's a gift of the Lord doing kindness in our hearts and also the spirit gives us confidence and um, it's his work 
So when I have a, a friend who's really grumpy about the Christian faith, he doesn't like God, he doesn't want to talk about God, I can pray because the Spirit blows where it wishes, where he wishes. He, he breaks the hardest hearts. And I can commit my friends, my family to the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit can do amazing things. Yolanda was sitting at home with Alex. And amazingly, through Alex's words, Yolanda's a penny began to drop. And she had to find out more about this God who gave his son unto death to save her, the world. And her eyes were open. So it's a wonderful transformation. And uh, it's all about the Spirit's work. But does that mean I just sit back and wait for the Holy Spirit to come to me? I just thank you. But in some ways, yes. Uh, the Holy Spirit is um, not to be controlled. But also he has given us a way. Uh, to respond, the final point, very truly, to enter God's kingdom, you must be born again. Uh, to be born again, you must be cleansed and given God's spirit. And finally, to be born again, you must believe in God's crucified son. And that's the final bit, 9 to 15. We are to have faith and believe that Jesus is God's son and has been crucified for our sins. Verse 9, Nicodemus is none the wiser. It seems that he's not read his Bible carefully enough. He's too confident in his own performance, his religious works and moral behavior, uh, to be acceptable to God. And earlier in verse 2, he's flattered Jesus. Uh, he's spoken of his gang and said, we know that you're a teacher. We know that you're from God. Well, in verse 11, Jesus seems to say, well, we know one or two things as well. But you're simply not listening. In fact, verse 12, you're waiting for the kingdom of God, the new heaven, the new earth, but you're not ready to hear about that wonderful future because you're not believing in the earthly things now that you need to be born again today to enter the future glory. And verse 13, because I'm from heaven, I'm the only one who is qualified to speak of heavenly things. You need me, says Jesus. And verse 14 and 15, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is what you are to do, Nicodemus, to enter God's kingdom. You are to believe, you are to look to the Son who is lifted up on the cross. And Jesus gives us that illustration that Jeanette talked about earlier. Uh, that the people in Numbers 21 who rebelled against the Lord, uh, they were suffering deadly snake bites as a punishment. And yet, by his mercy, God told Moses to erect this bronze snake on a pole and that it would look on it and live. They would look on the snake and live. And Nicodemus, you, me, we've all been bitten by the snake of sin. In fact, we're born in sin. It's deadly. It will separate us from God forever if it's not dealt with. But by his mercy, God has sent his son to be lifted up on the cross, to die for our sin. That anyone who believes, who looks at him, will live. There's a way back to God from the dark part of sin. A door that is open that we may go in at Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. 
verse 15 says, everyone who believes in me may have eternal life in him. Jesus is more than a bronze snake to gaze at, to gain life. He is life. John 5 said, teach, teaches us that Jesus has life in himself. So to believe in him is more than simply agreeing uh, and believing in this stuff happened. It's to do something. It's to get to that pole. It's to gaze upon the only one who can save us from our sins. To say sorry to God and ask him to come in, into your life. That's what it means to be born again. To, to gain new life. So this new life uh, can be experienced um, from the moment you believe. The life is in Christ. And when we put our trust in him, we know him. And he brings us to heaven. Look and live. When Moses erected that bronze snake, you can imagine that those grasping what's at stake would do anything to get to that cross, to get to the pole, to gaze on that life-giving snake. They would drag their dying relatives to have a look. Look and live. Look and live. But when it comes to Jesus, have you done that? Because verse 15 says this is for everyone. Everyone. But I'm too long in the tooth. Look and live, says the Lord. But I'm, I'm just 12 years old. Look and live. I've been attending church for 40 years. Look and live. But you don't know how many skeletons I've got in my cupboard. Look and live. I've drifted away from God too many times. Look and live. Everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. So if that's news to you, uh, get to the poll. Why don't you come to Christianity Explore, talk to one of us, uh, find out more. Keep attending on Sundays. Enjoy being with us, but listen to God's words. And also, let's be aware of fake belief that Jesus isn't a hobby, that he shouldn't just be included in our world thinking in some way giving us a nod of respect to him from time to time. Rather, you need to see that without Jesus as your Lord, um, ruling you entirely, then you are perishing. And brothers and sisters, um, we've received God's mercy, the greatest gift. Uh, we've been born again. Don't we want to get other people to see, to look on Jesus and live? Aren't we desperate to see our friends and family do that? Let's do it. And also, is it possible that we've ourselves taken our eyes off Jesus? We've stopped looking and our lives are a little bit dissembled. It needs to be a daily exercise, doesn't it? There's so much distraction around us, uh, COVID for one, but also so many other things taking our time. The children of Israel are a prime example of being distracted by suffering, distracted by uh, idols, and they took their eyes off the prize. They stopped looking to the one who can save them. We can run to the wrong things for reassurance and comfort. We can believe in our own strength or ability to get results. We stop looking at the cross. In illness or severe trial, we think it's about positive thinking sometimes. Sometimes I'm strong enough. Look to the cross. Don't doubt God's love or ability to come and minister to you. 
Don't hold them at a distance. Look and live. We keep going as Christians. I keep coming back to the cross, looking at Jesus, enjoying living in him. And it seems Nicodemus did that, didn't he? His heart began to warm. Later in chapter 7, he sticks up for Jesus, says he needs a fair trial. But perhaps it was when he saw Jesus lifted up on the cross that the penny really dropped for Nicodemus. For in chapter 19, we see him going to Jesus, take, helping dress the body in spices, preparing it for burial, basically risking his status and standing in the community because he wanted to stand with Jesus. Will we? Will we look and live? Let's pray. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you that you have taught us today that to enter your kingdom, we must be born again. And it's something that we can't do. It's by your spirit, you clean us and you bring us home. Father, we thank you that you have given us Jesus to die on a cross, that all those who trust in him, crucified and risen, will share his risen life. And that life starts today. We praise you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.